You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday the 12th of July. A little overcast here in TW11 this morning, but there is a decidedly midsummer feel to events, no matter the mixed forecast everywhere over the next few days, because we're on the eve of Newmarket's July Festival, more of which in a moment. And of course, it's opening weekend at Saratoga. We'll be bringing you news of that a little bit later in the week. Also, on the sales circuit, Newmarket July week is as much about what's happening at Park Paddocks at Tattersalls as it is on on the race course and with that in mind I'll be catching up with yesterday's leading buyer Mick Donoghue from the BBA Ireland we'll also be getting Emma Berry's final thoughts on her trip to Japan and the JHRA sale there and the sensation that is now the stallion Contrail it seems only a few weeks ago that we were talking about Contrail as leading the TRC global thoroughbred rankings which incidentally has had a notable mover this week. Paddington is now up to four in the world. Further reflections on that coming your way on Friday. Nine have been declared for the foul mistakes this Friday, the Group 1 at Newmarket. Amongst them, winner of the Pretty Polly Stakes via Sistina. And yesterday, she was the subject of an appeal from connections of the runner-up Stay Alert. That took place at the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board. In the same appeal via Sistina's rider, Jamie Spencer was appealing against the six-day ban that he received uh, to get it reduced or or got rid of, perhaps with the idea that he might be able to ride Cardem in the July Cup. On Saturday, Jane Manganati in Racing TV Broadcast is with me today. Jane, what happened? Absolutely nothing. Neither were successful. Now, we'll talk about the Stay Alert versus... um versus the winner appeal in terms of interference and whether they would get the race. That was a million to one. That was a million to one given the margin of victory. Um, And it's not a surprise that was basically thrown out by the stewards. I was maybe expecting Jamie Spencer to put up a good case. Got six days for interference. He looked like he had done a lot, you know, to do his best to keep the filly straight. But ultimately the stewards said, look, didn't matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the connections of Stay Alert would say that was a generous interpretation of uh, of Jamie's ride. Just on a on a wider point, it was going to be difficult for the IHRB to take days away from Jamie's suspension, given the fact that their own rules have just tightened up. I mean, I realise his 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 ban was given under the old rules, the last day of the old rules, but it wouldn't have been a good look, would it? Uh, yeah, well, okay, the, the rules have tightened up. Regardless of whether it's on a Monday in Roscommon or a Sunday at the Curra, they, the rules should be consistent anyway. You say it's a generous interpretation of the writing. It wasn't as if he didn't have his stick in his right hand. It wasn't as if he didn't have a really good hold of his left rein and was straining it. Yes, the interference was significant, and I didn't expect him to get a day or two knocked off just because he's riding in another race. That's superfluous. Um, but I didn't consider it intentionally dangerous riding. Yeah, right. OK, on to something rather more important um, for uh, the Irish regulator. Just buried right at the bottom of a piece in the Irish field last Saturday, Jane, about the Dennis Hogan um, appeal. Just um, just read me what the what the subsequent sentence was. So the very last paragraph in Sunday or Saturday's Irish Field, trainer Dennis Hogan has lodged an appeal against a three-day suspension 
Oh, sorry, three months suspension. Three months suspension. He recently received for a prohibited substances offence. We've already covered that on pod, and we'll follow the appeal as it as it happens. Separately, this is the end of the paragraph. Separately, a judgment is awaited following a ten, a recent ten day referrals hearing, which involved eleven adverse analytical findings in one as yet unidentified yard. Right. Yeah, 11 adverse analytical findings in one yard. That um, took 10 days. That took 10 days. To give you context, Ron McNally's appeal process took three. So when are we? When do you think we'll be, we'll be hearing news of that? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. But if... Uh, you know, a lot of you, as you can appreciate, a lot of people are talking about it over here. I'm not saying that'll accelerate the process, but it'll certainly garner interest if it doesn't appear anytime soon. And does everybody know who it is? There's whispers, but it's pure conjecture at this stage until you see it. Um, I'd imagine when it's, I, I'd imagine this is again just me speculating when it is published, we'll fi find out that it's probably a year or two or more old. All right, back to where we started then. Via Sistina is one of the nine that is declared in the foul mistakes on Friday with Jamie Spencer book because his ban doesn't begin until the following day and takes on a, a whole host of very exciting fillies. Rafe Beckett is double-handed in here. He's got Prosperous Voyage, last year's winner, and he's also got Remarque, who's now running in the colours of Wathnan Racing. Remarque will be ridden by Rob Hornby, who's also picked up the ride in the July Cup on Cardam, as we told you yesterday. Last year, he completed a double in both those races. He could yet do the same again. Uh, Jane, what about Via Cecina in the Falmouth? There's been a little bit of chat about the watering. Michael Pross has put quite a bit of water on the track on the July course this week, yet there are some heavy showers in the area forecast. Now, if you get both of those, you know what's going to happen. Ground that at the moment is on the really quite quick side could turn anything but that very quickly indeed, and, and the debate will will ensue. I mean, I guess I, one man who won't mind uh, any any water is is George Bowie, the trainer of Via Sistina. Yes, and she showed that at the Curra. She showed that just her physique is, is she's a huge filly, and I don't think Stephen Hillen will mind that they put out a bit of water and that there's a bit of rain forecast as well. She's top of the market and she just looks like an ever-improving filly. She's not slow. I don't think a mile will be a problem. Um, and she can be versatile in how she's ridden. Of course, she is a track winner. Uh, Remarque will be fascinating first run for Vathnan Racing after they purchased like Courage, Monami and Gregory to win at Ascot. What a dream start they have had. Well, after this filly finished second to Tahira in the coronation, she could give Rob Hornby a quick fire group one double after Westover. Uh, last weekend throw in the possibility of Nashua who was obviously supplemented for the race and a couple more that could be quite a good race but it just comes thick and fast every weekend now doesn't it Nick group one after group one you'd wonder where all the good horses come from all right well Rafe Beckett's got two of the nine in the foul mistakes defending champion Prosperous Voyage and of course the recent uh, Wathnan acquisition Remarque who ran so well at Royal Ascot Rob Hornby last year's winning rider is on Remarque with William Buick uh, aboard last year's winner, Prosperous Voyage. Uh, Rafe is with me now. Rafe, who goes into the race with a better chance, do you think? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, they both work well at the weekend. Uh, I think Prosperous Voyage is in a good place. And uh, I think Remarque has done well since 
since Ascot. So it's tough to know. I hate sitting on the fence, but it's it's tough to split them, Nick. I mean, Remarque looked looked quite potentially quite brilliant when she won the Fred Darling, and, and then she ran a great race at Ascot last time. Do you do you still believe that she could have a bit of star quality about her? Oh, I think she definitely. You know, there's definitely star quality about her. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think there's a there's a there's a good chance that she's going to improve with racing because that's what the pedigree tells us. And uh, I think if we can just get her to get her to stretch better uh in the closing stages then i think she'll improve um and is there anything you can do to help that in the way you train her or is it just a a question of experience i think a lot of it's just experience you know uh she'll wear a sheepskin noseband on friday again i think it's just she's she still she still doesn't doesn't totally understand what's required in my opinion. Okay. And and did Rob choose or was it just a kind of function of circumstances that the jockeys are that way around? Circumstance as much as anything else. <clears throat> um, and uh, with William being available and having won a group one on Lazoo last autumn, um, you know, it was a good fit for, for, for Mark and Andrew. That's Mark Chan and Andrew Rosen, the owners of Prosperous Voyage. Lazoo, their horse, doesn't run in the July Cup, but you do run the other horse, Kin Ross, with, with William aboard. Um, were you ever intending to run them both? Uh, Lazoo might run. Lazoo might run. And um, we're, having, we're having a discussion later on today about that. Uh, Kin Ross, yeah, he's in good form. And, um, you know, I, I'm very happy with his work. I was very happy with him going into Ascot. That didn't pan out. He saw too much daylight. Um, I'm very happy with him going into Saturday. What would it need for Lazoo to run? Uh, Everybody to be in agreement. Okay, okay. Would you like to run her? Everybody to be happy. Then then, uh, then, uh, that might happen. I mean, would you like to run her? If she was yours, would you run her? Uh... Pass. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very diplomatic. Well, we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. Um, anyway, at this stage, they could they could both run. How's Westover doing? He's very well. Came out of it well. Uh, you know, he puts he's also puts everything in. Uh, so we'll uh, well as the clock said on Saturday. Um, so we'll see how he is in the coming ten days or so and. Then, uh, then have a think about the King George, but he's in good shape. Yes, thank God. But you're not in any way deterred by by last year's King George in terms of planning for this year's. Not really, because I think he's a different horse now, and uh, I think I think I think he'll he'll cope. He'll he's coping much better with everything as a four year old. All right, that was trainer Rafe Beckett with news of not only last weekend's Group 1 winner Westover, but his Group 1 entries this week. Two in the Falmouth then, Remarque and last year's winner Prosperous Voyage, the Mount of William Buick. And then, of course, Kinross, also the Mount of Buick, in the July Cup, the Potemps July Cup, on Saturday. I get I get the sense 
quite strongly, Jane, that you know, even though I'm trying to get you enthused by the by the July Cup, that you know, really sprinters aren't kind of your thing if your conversation with Charlotte last week was anything to go by. They bore me. Why? You never we haven't had a dominant sprinter since Batash. Before that we haven't had a wow sprinter since what? Solar power? What's not disrespecting uh, the good sprinters in the interim, but I like a horse that's the best in their division over a period of time. And we don't get that very often in the sprint division. So you prefer you prefer a coronation? I to... can see already people on Twitter being like, uh, this horse and this horse and this horse, and they were all amazing. And I get it. There are very good sprinters out there, but there is very few that capture my imagination. That's just my preference. Okay. So you prefer a coronation? You prefer like a Bayi turning up at one to nine every time and winning in a hand canter rather than rather than races that are actually competitive? No, I prefer a horse that is just the best in their division. They don't have to be one to nine. It can be a competitive race. It can be a betting affair. I know what you're getting at, Nicholas. Look, I just think that you. I want a horse that is proven over a period of time to be the best. Highfield Princess last year did that. She did that over five and six furlongs so I, I i should have mentioned her as well she's a mare that i like all right well there's plenty of good stuff to come between now and the weekend including tomorrow's july stakes two-year-old race and richard Fahey's malk is currently second favorite off the back of an excellent effort in the norfolk stakes when he went off a big big price though not as big as the 150 to 1 winner valiant force and i began by asking his trainer whether that had surpassed expectations uh, look, um, it looked a warm race. Um, uh, there was some some some, uh, some some solid form there. Well, probably the best two-year-old form, some of the best two-year-old form in the country this year. Uh, and he's a, he's a one-race maiden, so uh, he, uh, he 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 was entitled probably to be a big price. But we did expect him to run well. Uh, I mean, it's been a lucky race, was that? I think we've been second in it and won it twice, so we we felt we had the right horse to run in it. So. Was it a surprise? A little bit, but we we were we were very happy to run him in it. So that sort of speaks volumes that we we thought he'd run well. So I've gone round in circles there, Nick. Don't know the answer. <laughs> I suppose I suppose there is that distinction to draw, isn't there? Between especially with the two-year-olds, where there's the ones that you'd be telling people right from the word go. The minute they walk in the yard, you say, "Oh, that's nice. That's a, that's a good horse." And others that just creep up on you a little bit more quietly. Well, I think I think there was a hot pot in the race, wasn't there? There was the nap of the, the week, mm. two-year-old nap of the week in the race. Yeah, elite status, and you, and you beat him. Yeah, exactly. So we were very worried about the favourite, so, but uh, I think he was third or fourth. So so the farm was rock solid, and uh, no, we're, we're very happy with him since. That's the most important part. I'm happy to step him up to six, and uh, looking forward to seeing him run tomorrow. It doesn't look any stronger a race, does it, than, than the Ascot race? Uh, yeah, I mean, as they say, the, I hate to name trainers there, but there was a horse there that had been very impressive uh, and looked like he'd win. Um, so, so I'm not saying he bombed out; he got beat, and uh, we picked up the pieces. But no, uh, I, I, I thought I thought the, the Norfolk was a very hot race this year on paper before and and I think after the race, but we'll find out tomorrow. Okay. Um, you had a filly engaged in the um, Duchess of Cambridge Stakes, what used to be called the Cherry Hinton, who again ran a very good race fifth in in the in the uh, Albany Pretty Crystal. You, you say you might not run her. 
Yeah, look, I, I was very pleased with her at Ascot. Uh, I think if we'd have been uh, with the lower numbers, uh, she sort of hit the front this side and pricked her ears a little bit. And not saying she pulled up or anything. She's just one one run, one run maiden again, winner. Um, and I, I think she'll improve for the run. I'm just going to keep an eye on the ground. There's plenty of races for her. She, she's at the bar. We don't really want to rush her. Uh, and there's plenty of races for late in the season. But I'll, I've had a walk on the track this morning now. I just thought it was quicker than I'd like. Um, but we'll we'll monitor it. And uh, I've got to make a decision in the next uh, couple of hours whether she runs or not. But there's plenty of options for her later on. So I might just save her. I might just save her for later on. Well, it is our final week racing in Hong Kong before we take a, a little break for the summer. Uh, and you heard yesterday on the show from Zach Purton, who's broken the record for wins in a season by a Hong Kong-based jockey. Really interesting stuff with, with Tom on yesterday's episode. Pleased to welcome in for this final week our Hong Kong correspondent, uh, Jim McGrath. Uh, Jim, first of all, it, it's worth, before we talk about Happy Valley today, Shartin Sunday, to, to conclude the season, to to have a word on, on Purton. In your opinion, what do you think has made him such a force in, in Hong Kong? Uh, undoubtedly his competitive nature and also the fact that he is so tough physically and mentally. Uh, I think that uh, what we've seen of him over the years, I mean, he came to Hong Kong in 2007. Uh, and in those days, I'd say he was 23, 24. So, you know, he's, he's, he's really tough and uh, he's endured a lot of things uh, as far as physical Injuries go. Uh, he had a very bad fall in the uh, Hong Kong sprint going back a couple of years ago. He came back from that. Uh, and also, he's, he's just determination to actually succeed in his battle with Joe Moreira over several seasons. Uh, they were highlights of Hong Kong racing in, in recent years. I wondered what the effect of Marrera not being there would be on Purton. I wondered whether he needed a Marrera to spur him on, whether he needed that level of man-on-man um, -man competition. But it, it seems not. It seems as though he's pushed his game to a, to a whole new level. Yeah, I spoke to Zach earlier in the week and I put it, exactly that question to him and he seemed a little bit affronted. You know, he said that uh, he didn't need Marrera. He, he respected Marrera greatly. Uh, and he was a great uh, admirer. However, uh, he didn't in any way need him to actually spur him on. Uh, in fact, uh, with uh, the exit of Marrera, we then got Hugh Bowman, uh, Winx's jockey and multiple champion in Australia, who, who came up and he's filled that void to a certain extent. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it's probably unfair to be saying that he needs a Marrera he doesn't. He's got enough self-motivation to actually do it himself. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he seems to like targets. He likes statistical targets. Uh, I think having bettered Marrera's uh, 170 in a season, which is a phenomenal total in Hong Kong. Uh, I mean, people do laugh a, a little bit about, you know, it's only 88 meetings a year and it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, a fairly closed shop in many ways. However, it is hugely competitive and every single race is important there, um, you know, because of the, 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 the fact that there are so few of them over an entire season and um, it's big, big prize money, as we know. Uh, as far as next season is concerned... Is it likely to simply be more of the more of the same? Uh, it, it could be. I mean, what he what he does have, uh, Purton, is he he can ride for anyone. He's not 
uh, he hasn't alienated anyone uh, at all. You know, they all realise that they need him. And if, if he rings up for the ride, it's very much like Lester in the old days. You get the ride. It's as simple as that. You know, I liked, I'd like to ride your horse. What, what comes into it in, uh, a great deal in Hong Kong is there are no agents. Uh, they have to do their, their own booking. Uh, and uh, they when they ring up and, and they say, you know, uh, I've looked at the form, I'd like to ride your horse, well, that's a great compliment in most cases to the owner or the trainer, and he definitely wants the services of the, of the multiple champion. So, yeah, he, he, it could be more of the same. I think Bowman is going to be uh, much more of a force. Uh, what restricts him to a certain extent is that he can only ride at about, uh, probably comfortably, about 8 stone 12, uh, and uh, that just restricts him a lot from those lightweights. Uh, Zach himself can only get down to 8.8, Absolutely. If you see him on, a, on something carrying 120 pound, 8.8, eight, uh, you know that uh, that's got a, a big, big chance because that's getting down towards uh, his less than comfort zone. Yeah, so you've got to be an, an incredible self-starter, as you say, and you're only as good as your last period in the saddle. You know, the loyalty doesn't last for that long there, does it? No, definitely does not. Um, some of uh, some of his stats are worth looking at. Uh, I think uh, this season, uh, his horses, the horses that he's won on or, or been placed on, have won a total of twenty-seven million pounds sterling, uh, and his cut of that, his percentage, ten percent, would be two point seven million pounds. So that's in his percentages alone. So uh, you know that's a phenomenal amount to be earning uh, and of course uh, it's very low taxes compared to the rest of the world in, in Hong Kong so he's a very very wealthy man I think I heard him say the other day he I think he was saying to Tom yeah he doesn't need he doesn't need to be worrying about uh, uh, paying paying mortgages or where his next meal is coming from he's not not riding for financial reasons he's riding purely for, for you know his, his own uh, self-satisfaction and professional satisfaction Satisfaction. Jim, we've got two more meetings uh, tonight at Hong Kong uh, in Happy Valley, and then and then Chartin on Sunday to round off the round off the season. What can we look forward to? Well, I think Zach can ride a winner. In uh, he's, he's surprisingly he's only got uh, I think he's only on three favourites out of the out of his nine rides, which is in a way slightly uh, strange. However, horse called Seasons Wit and Race Eight Number Two Seasons Wit uh, should win. It will be very very short, uh, very short short in betting. However, uh, will go in I think. And uh, earlier on, he might just have a, a better chance with uh, also a, a, a probably uh, more value chance in uh, race five, number four, snow a lot. Uh, and then on Sunday, we have an 11 race program at Sha Tin. Uh, that will round off the season uh, and there'll be a big size of release after yet another, uh, you know, fairly difficult season for everyone concerned. Don't forget that the COVID restrictions were only... Uh, lifted in early March. So up until that period, there was great restrictions on crowds, on the way people could conduct themselves on a daily basis. They were wearing masks right up until until March, which seems to be ages ago to us. But uh, yeah, it has been another difficult season and things are just getting back to normal. And just finally, Jim, Vincent Ho set for a spell in the UK fairly soon. Yeah, it'd be great to see him. He's a great ambassador for Hong Kong. Uh, he's finished second, uh, albeit uh, about about 80 wins or so behind behind Pert uh, in the title. But he has finished second, and he's the, he's the best homegrown talent since Tony Cruz. 
and it will be great to see him. Uh, he's a fine ambassador. He conducts himself well, and he rides well, and the experience over here would do him the world of good as well. Well, Jim, thanks so much for all your input during the course of the season. Look forward to doing it all over again come September. Yep, it's been a pleasure, and we're looking forward to it already. My thanks to J.A. McGrath for all his work during the course of the Hong Kong season. It wouldn't be July week at Newmarket without some focus on the Tattersall's July sale. And yesterday, uh, Michael Donoghue from BBA Ireland was very much the man in focus as regards purchasing some of the key lots at the sale. And he was particularly uh, getting stuck into broodmare prospects and broodmares in foal by Galileo, the top lot in foal to, to Wooten Bassett. And uh, he explained why that was his line of attack to me a little earlier on today. They're not making them anymore. And, um, you know, he really is the most unbelievable broodmares are. And his influence in the in the whole breed is going to is going to stand the test of time in the years to come. So we were very um, we were very conscious and uh, and and keen to to buy as many as we can. I noticed you tapping into the into the Wooten Bassett vibe uh, uh, as well, Mick. Just tell me a little bit about how that manifests itself. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the people who own who who who, who, who did a great job, Harris Tetram in France, and and now the the Magdor family in Coolmore. You know they're they're you know they're um they're probably as good a horseman as there is around and we're just kind of following following their way of thinking because they have such success in making these stallions and um john magner and and his sons are are really banking on the whole um wooden bassett um cross on those galileo mares those nice galileo mares, mares that they have so we're kind of taking that line as well physically wooden bassett kind of matches up quite well with with, with galileo and as we have seen this year wooden bassett this is Really, his breakout year there, Coolmore's investment in him seems to be justified now, you know. So we're, we're kind of piggybacking a little bit on, on their way of thinking. But, um, you know, we think that that is the way forward. Well, well, there's definitely worse ways of doing it. Uh, and, and that was that was uh, the 350,000 guinea top lot uh, from the family of Seventh Heaven, um, daughter of Galileo, as you said, in full to Wooden Bassett. I was really interested to hear what you said about how they match well physically. Just for the for the layman, just explain why a, why a Galileo and a Wooden Bassett might be a good physical match or complement one another. Yeah, some of those Galileos they can be a little bit short, a little bit small, maybe and a little bit lack a little bit of length. Whereas um, the Wooden Bassets they're quite tall and they have length. Um, and those Galileo mares they put a good bit of a hip into them, whereas maybe Wooden Bassett might lack a little bit. So it's just kind of trying to match up the physical attributes from from the from the dam and the mare. A lot of people they breed horses, you know, on scene they just pick they pick them physically on, on pedigree and on nicks. But but we're of the firm belief that you have to match them up physically as well as uh, as as well as pedigree wise, you know. So the idea that you can actually correct a little a little inadequacy or just kind of make a little bit of deficiency better with something that another another stallion is particularly strong in you you find that is a, a formula that that absolutely works absolutely for sure yeah we're convinced of it um you know physically you know different attributes and some some stars are quite are quite dominant in 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 you know uh in in what they pass on to their progeny temperament as well would be another thing you know um, if you have a heart mare to certain sire lands and sires that you know breed that breed good-minded horses, willing horses, you know. So yeah, it's really a matter of um, taking everything into consideration, but definitely uh, matching them up physically. Stalin and the mare is very important. We feel. And you would be more of that mind than you would necessarily trying to sort of import speed or stamina characteristics. 
Uh, we would, yeah, we would, to be fair. Interesting. Um, what does the rest of the week hold for you, Mick? Yeah, there's not a whole lot really left. Um, obviously, it's kind of mid-season uh, horse and training. There's a couple of nice horse and training. Lady Ogden is selling a very nice uh, no one ever feel we might have a crack out there tomorrow. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of kind of what we call stocking fillers, you know, for clients from the Middle East and from uh, from Asia and, and local as well. So it's, um, yeah, now the real hard work starts. Buying those Galileos is easy, you know, and they're kind of a no-brainer, but uh, now the real hard work is trying to find a couple of gems among the horse and training. And I know, you know, you're not going to say exactly where, where the horses you bought yesterday are going, but are we still going to be able to keep a few of them up here? People are worried about horses disappearing to all parts of the world. Are you buying enough horses that will remain in, in Ireland, UK, France, in Euro- in European stud farms? Yeah, we are, yeah. And I mean, I think it's kind of always been the way, you know, Europe, you know, Ireland and England and France is kind of a feeder to the rest of the world, uh, you know, to Australia and to, and to America and to Asia. So I don't think it's any different, you know. Um, what we're doing at the minute there's you know we're breeding plenty of foals our foal numbers are holding steady compared to america and um yeah no i wouldn't be i wouldn't be really concerned in in, in that front to be honest that's kind of historically we've always been a, a feeder to the rest of the world you know all right that was mick donahue from the bba we're going to hear about the sales in japan in a couple of moments time but jane your reflections just a couple of things you noticed out of yesterday's uh, out of yesterday's activity at tattersall's Yes, well, obviously, we, you've heard from McDonough they're buying three of the top six lots, uh, t- top five lots, really, if you take one vendor out of it. Um, but I thought in at the fourth top lot, at 270000 over the rainbow, purchased by Coolmire Stables, better known for their exploits in National Hunt breeding and sales. Of course, you spoke to Cahill Marga after they sold the Dr. Dino brother to Duvan and John Bon at the Derby sale a couple of weeks ago. Well, they bought a Dubawi daughter of the irish oaks and yorkshire oaks winner seventh heaven uh over the rainbow in fall to saint mark's basilica uh they paid 270 grand for her she's the first acquisition into flat breeding uh she may well be a foundation mayor as a co- according to their stud manager paul mcgrath um comes from a lovely family of the middle park winner crusade and la traviata so they've purchased off of coolmore they're trying to do the Dubawi Galileo cross that has already worked massively well in the reverse Galileo over Dubawi and vice versa. And um, more look to them. It might, sounds like it won't be their first or their last, it won't be their last purchase. And um, they're dabbling their toe in flat water. But if they're doing anything like they're going, that they're doing in national hunt circles, it's definitely going to be quality over quantity because that is quite the first acquisition. Okay, well, on Monday on the podcast, you heard from TDN's Emma Berry, who spent a little time in Japan covering the JRHA sale. And Emma's with me now, having returned uh, just a few moments ago uh, to to um, HQ, to Newmarket, to cover the, the July sale and the July festival. Uh, Emma, I, I want to talk about the sensation, um, certainly over the last couple of days, that has been Contrail. It seems only a, a moment ago we were talking about his exploits on the race course. And the start he's had in the sales ring as a stallion has been nothing short of extraordinary. Yes, they were um, certainly um, really going mad for his stock uh, yesterday in uh, in Hokkaido. Um, I think there were 20 foals in the sale altogether. And I think on average, their, their dollar price was nearly nearly a million, which is just extraordinary. Um, as you say, he was a superstar on the track and been huge anticipation about his stock and it's slightly different there in that many more of the many more big owners actually come in and buy as foals rather than as yearlings I mean they do a bit of both but the foal sale is actually always 
traditionally very strong and was even stronger than the yielding day on Monday. So, yeah, but Contrail was the, was the headline act of yesterday, no question. I've been following along a little on social media as well. I, I mean, I noted David Redvers had taken a picture of Contrail and said, is there a more perfect-looking stallion in the world, or, or, or words to that effect? It's, it's high praise indeed, isn't it? Is it, is it justified? Well, look, I mean, I, I never... Yes, I mean... I, as everything we know about him at the moment, it's certainly justified. He was a terrific race horse, sorry, and um, and he's a beautiful looking animal. Um, what matters next is is what his runners do, and we won't know that for for a few years, especially as two year old racing isn't you know a massive thing in Japan at all. So, you know, it, it, the next uh, the next chapter is very much uh, still to be written, but definitely so far so good. And I know, obviously, as you say, David went to have a look at him. I know the Cornwall team that were in Japan went to have a look at him, and it was I was lucky enough to see him as well on 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 saturday among another a uh, bunch of the shabai stallions is a you know very big roster there but he they brought him out last i think they're very much hoping he's going to be the the, the star act and um you know he's he's a gorgeous horse to watch in action he's very light um you know easy mover very light on his feet and seems to have a very lovely temperament as well he had a female stallion handling still don't see too many women working with the stallion so that was lovely to see and just yeah there's not much not to like about him at all really um so let's hope the buzz is is justified in a few years time and and talking of atmosphere and the way horses are are behaving and and conduct themselves at the sale I, i your your video if nobody's seen it i urge them to to follow you on twitter and uh, and look at the video you posted walking through the trees with the with the, with the horses just gently having a pick of grass or or just there for, for for people to wander around amongst it's a very very different vibe by the looks of it it is that's the strange thing the very unusual element of the foal sale there is that obviously they're selling foals in july so most of them aren't weaned yet so they're there they come along literally on the morning of the sale a lot of potential buyers will have been going to the farms for a, a good month at least to see to see the yearlings and the foals so most people have already inspected them um and know what they're know what they're going to get but there's still that morning inspection it starts as eight o'clock before you know a couple of hours before the sale they just bring them all in that morning with their dams and stand among the trees it's very relaxed um and it's actually nice for the foals because as i say they are with their mothers so that's probably easier for them than you know, a bit later on in the year when they're weaned and then they're coming up to the sales, it's it's quite quite a big thing. Although they do handle it incredibly well, um, and it's a terrific. I mean, for me, it's the, almost the nicest thing is being able to see the mares because you're walking through and then you know the quality of mares that the Japanese breeders have been buying for a long time from all around the world. They're serious names there, and then you can walk through and you know stroke Donna Blini, who's obviously was the dam of gentle donor group woman herself um you know just to be able to see them because once the mares have retired we often don't get a chance to see them again um so it's it's very different and the foals handle it really well actually they're they're extremely well handled and it's a very impressive setup all right thank you to emma to all my guests today jane is still here jane has some advice for you Yes, uh, the Brownstown Stakes is one of only two group races in Ireland that Aidan O'Brien hasn't won, the other being at Dundalk. Uh, he's throwing four darts at it at 6.50 this evening at Fairy House, but I don't actually think he's going to get it this time around. I like Zarinsk. Seven furlongs would be perfect for her. She's a front runner. She didn't quite see out the mile in a group two in France last time, albeit she wasn't disgraced. She's a winner at Irish Champions Weekend last year as a juvenile. And I think Zarinsk can lead all the way from the front in the Brownstown at 6.50. Yeah, and Zarinsk has a verdict over Aspen Grove.
earlier in the season, Aspen Grove, about whom we were hearing from Fozzie Stack earlier on the, in the program. So thanks to all my guests. Thanks to you. Uh, for listening if you do enjoy this podcast please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume your pods and we will see you again tomorrow when we will be on the july course at newmarket looking forward to it see you then bye bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary Thank you.